does it mean when the walls not only have eyes, but the walls can think? We speak today with Alan O'Hearley, who is the CEO and founder of Everseen. Everseen is a business focusing on computer vision applications for process adherence. I'll put that in simple terms. Right now, one of their traditional use cases is being used in retail to detect if an item that is being scanned at checkout maybe is missed during the scanning process, or if maybe something remained in the cart, someone forgot to put something on the conveyor, and maybe it goes along in the cart and walks out the door without being paid for. So referred to as sort of process adherence in a retail store, but we could also think about it as theft prevention. We could think about it as sort of ensuring that there are no well-intended mistakes that maybe result in loss of product for the company. And this is done through computer vision, a camera that can kick off a notification to a manager to maybe notify them when there might have been such a hiccup. That's a pretty challenging job when you think about it. Scanning a watermelon and scanning a pack of gum is a totally different thing. And how do you train a machine to not know that that purse from that woman who's going through the checkout, that purse in her bag is not something she got at the store. And this is not something she's walking out the door with that she took from the store, whether that was her property coming in. How can a machine be trained to do that? These are tough problems. Alan speaks with us about how machines are trained to do that, what the future applications of computer vision in this sense are in retail, and how computer vision might be used to ensure the adherence to other processes, maybe in manufacturing, maybe in warehousing, and in other domains in business. How can cameras and computer vision ensure excellence in processes in other domains in business as it already is in use in retail today? Alan's business is in a surprising number of stores in Ireland, and they're doing a lot of expanding right now. And this is a technology that I suspect we'll be seeing more and more of in the States, as there are other competitors in this field as well. But I thought Alan did a great job of articulating the technology and it was also wonderful to have an Irish accent, a genuine, real-deal Irish accent on the AI and Industry podcast. We have a lot of folks from Israel, a lot of folks in the UK, plenty of folks from India, from China, not that many Irishmen. And this was a really fun interview for that reason as well. Alan's a real character, and I thought he put a lot of that character into his explanations, which, which I thought were very well boiled down for a business audience as well. So I hope that you all enjoy this episode. This is Alan with Everseen here on AI and Industry. So you folks have trained systems to detect, again, when, when somebody's maybe walking out of a store without scanning something or when someone's maybe talking while they're checking out and maybe they don't scan everything that's you know in front of them or on the conveyor or when something stays in a cart when it should have gone up on the conveyor itself. These are all different use cases because you've got to pick up when that happens for a case of beer and you've got to pick up when that happens for a watermelon and you've got to pick up when that happens for a pack of gum. This is a challenging ordeal. How is a system trained for these various use cases? I imagine it involves a lot of initial data and a lot of kind of labeling probably in the early days, but that's just my assumption. Let me know how a system gets trained to pick up on what it does today. Yeah, so it's a number of elements, really. It's, you've got computer vision, first of all, as the core uh, input into the AI platform. And that's like breaking down lots of things like, you know, product identification, let's say events like uh, pick events, events like uh, payment events. You've got pause stream data coming in as well. And what you do, kind of explain it this way in AI, is that you're getting all those little micro events, call it, you know, someone, let's say, putting a handbag on the checkout that shouldn't be there and it's not part of the store, or someone coming in with their Starbucks coffee into the store, it's clearly yeah, Starbucks, yeah, it's not, it's yeah, not a local yeah. product. Yeah, all those elements basically takes years and years of training 
we have different forms of AI. We've got neural networks. We've got other parts of AI as well. And I kind of explain it this way. If you, if you think of a tree, if you take one tree and you take a thousand pictures of the same tree, then, you know, with computer vision AI, you're going to get a very, very accurate kind of detection. Okay, when that tree pops up again or whatever like that in terms of distinguishing it. So all those elements, those key events, whatever, are, yep. have signatures. And what you do is you build up the signatures then, the information on the signature. So it's terabytes of data. It's years of training. And the key piece, actually, we found is that in our industry, access to the data is the biggest challenge. Because with us, actually, it's highly sensitive. We, we've accessed the people's pause streams, so their checkout data, yeah. which is, you know about all the data breaches and all these different things that happen yep, with the target, cybersecurity. Yep. So yeah, yeah. So like, you know, in fairness, IBM and all the other guys are fantastic with AI. And as I said, AI, is, is <laughs> it's changing now rapidly. The next couple of years is going to be really interesting. But the key problem, you know, the Facebook and the IBMs have is the access to the data. So they're typically, working, you know, the last number of years using public information, available information, like from, let's say, YouTube, et cetera. The big thing here is that with AI is the access to the data. Once you have the access, then you can start building all those signatures. And I suppose what we've done over time is, uh, I call it building a deep understanding, build that into your framework. That's the key component. That's very similar across applications. I mean, that's kind of the, the appeal of the AI business model is at some point, someone will have the most data access and they'll just be able to do the best job. And I mean, the really low ball example here is like, Google and search, right? It's like, well, Google's going to get your intent so much better based on how you click and how you engage because they're getting such a higher volume of search queries that it's going to be tough for other people to beat them on text search. Same thing with Amazon and product recommendations. Like, who carries more products on Amazon? That's question number one. And who handles more transactions? Kind of nobody. And so yeah. recommendations in general is just going to be better through Amazon no matter how many neat algorithms you come up with with your startup. Yeah. You know, the data yeah. is sitting somewhere. And it sounds like obviously you guys have knuckled down on collecting as many of these use cases, as many signatures as possible. I'm going to try to yeah. put this in a nutshell for the audience so that they can kind of see what I think you're saying. And then you can correct me if I'm wrong, Alan. My goal is for people to be able to imagine how this stuff works. Business people are you know, it's often comes across like a black box. And I think the benefit of talking to people like yourself who are in the technology and in the business is really framing in a way that's understandable. From what I'm hearing, you know, you'll have 100, 200, 2000, 20,000 times where someone will put their purse up on the counter along with the rest of their products. And if we know this is a grocery store and they don't sell, you know, purses or something, there's a signature for that event. In other words, it's been flagged and maybe manually identified by people on your team or people out in India that you've hired for that or whoever's doing the labeling. And there comes a way for a system to sort of pick up on, okay, this visually appears to me with 98% certainty to be a woman yeah. putting her purse on the damn counter along with her products we know what that looks like. Is that a safe assessment of sort of how these systems get built out? That's exactly it, Dan. And, and like, I kind of say this to people, look, AI, like last two years has become very sexy, right? But AI in the next two and three and four years is going to be a commodity, okay? And the data is the land grab. It isn't about, hey, Jesus, we're doing this very fancy thing with all these geniuses, et cetera, okay? There's a lot of geniuses out there. The land grab is the access to the data. I put it this way. You think of LinkedIn, right? People can build LinkedIn in about six months, <laughs> the value is not the software. No, yeah, the value is not the software. The value is the population inside in LinkedIn, yep. right? Maybe that's not a good example, whatever. No, no, it's a very good example. It's a very good example. Yeah, yeah. So the same thing here, like the data, the training data, the access to that is the land grab right now. Okay, that's the piece, and the AI and all all these smart people of that. That's going to commoditize itself in the next two to three years. Yeah, and, uh, but it's people. Yeah. It's having the population inside it 
And just so I know, obviously the data, if all you had was raw video with no annotation and no you know, notices of what is what, you just wouldn't have a system that could really get anything done. But at the same time, you can't have that many people getting paid $30 an hour annotating video. Does a lot of this work have to go to, you know, there's entire businesses, you know, the um, mighty.ais and the crowd flowers of the world and whatnot, who are sort of working on labeling and streamlining and formatting data and information. Are there partners of that kind that you guys have sort of had to work with in order to take this deluge of information from all these cameras that you have installed and turn it into something you can damn well learn from instead of just freaking video files, which by themselves might not have yeah. that much value? Um, how does no, that work? No, yeah. Yeah, no, we, we've done a lot of self-training. We started off in man lanes initially, and it was absolutely crazy. And then we moved into self-checkouts. And, okay, there's some common data taking across, and then there's some localization to be done as well. But we have a lot of techniques where we, you know, do self-diagnostics and do a lot of self-training. It was quite heavy at the beginning, but now we've a lot of heavy stuff done. And, I, and as I said before, was trying to get the access to the data was more of a challenge rather yeah, than, than yeah, training yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and that was the big challenge. So you don't still, there doesn't still need to be, and, and I know plenty of companies that do, and there's no damn well shame in it, but there doesn't need to be six people at a desk in New Delhi or something, you know, making notice of that's a purse, that thing didn't go on the cart, that thing didn't yeah, get scanned. It's more of your people working with the tech and maybe only plucking out kind of select video samples from this deluge of information now and and there really isn't the requirement to do the you know the, the outsource game at this point there was that that was there initially there was training involved and we did do training in india we trained the data up the process at the self checkout okay it's complicated but it's not the most complicated like there's only so many scenarios in the world that you're going to catch after two years like we started back in 2012 and like we started up with about 100 stores in Ireland and we learned from that and we started training from there and we had a big manual process. We looked at everything manually, first of all. We put in computer vision. Computer vision didn't deliver uh, back probably 2010 and we started training the data then. But when we get a new retailer, basically it takes us about eight weeks in about 20 stores and then they can copy paste everything out to their stores. Before it was taking one year, two years, <laughs> where now we have all that deep understanding in place. And uh, I mentioned you we're doing a new product right now, which again is a huge challenging training event, the uh, Zero Line project. Yeah. But um, that's really interesting. There's a lot of resources on that on the training side at the moment going on there. When you move into a new domain, I imagine it kind of, you know, you've got to go a little bit harder into the training. It sounds like now a lot of what you can do is maybe kind of cherry pick certain video examples because there's got to be some kind of ongoing critique and kind of double check process, right? If someone has this in 50 stores, 100 stores, they're probably going to want to know like, hey, look, can we make sure that it's not kind of, you know, going off in a different direction? Or can we kind of double check on, you know, our accuracy here? There's got to be some kind of, I imagine, light auditing process for existing installations just to ensure that calibrations improving or, or at least yeah. kind of staying at a great level. I imagine there, there's something of that sort with either your team or with the company's team, or maybe it's a combination of both. Can we just lightly touch on maybe what's involved there? Some people think all this stuff is completely magic. It's obviously, you know, there's some real thought that goes into it. What's kind of involved in just kind of keeping the process running? Again, if we talk about the self-checkout, as I said, it takes about 21 stores of an estate to kind of get the, the whole thing streamlined because there's always different environments. There's always different lighting. There's always different uh, whatever, yeah. all that. But, but we'd have about 80% of the system, as I said, to call it the deep understanding module, which has already taken all those years of data. And then you go into some retailer that has some really quirky process. There's always something strange. And as I say, every day is a school day. You always find something new. And that's that 20%. And that's where you know it takes a couple of weeks just to get that final piece together. But once... 
once you have it done, it's copy pasted then out to your photo state, you know, it's really cool after that. But there's still some kind of like, let's say six months in, two years in, there's still some degree of light, like, hey, let's just touch on it, make sure it's, you know, we're yeah. kind of calibrating yeah. properly, there's something there. Okay, cool. And I think it's, it's yeah, important yeah. for people to know yeah, it's machine learning. So the machine is learning all the time. It gets better. It improves. So ourselves, we kind of have this thing we call a G1. We've got G1 AI at the moment. We're working on the G2 AI. And what happens actually is it basically gives you more inputs. We say X number of inputs now with this G1 and say, hey, actually, we might get these five more inputs. They can actually help with the key decision making or whatever. It's always improving. But what you do is you simplify it at the beginning and make it very effective how you deploy and as I said before, there was nothing here before, you know, to yep. manage the process visually. So you go in nice and lightly and you keep improving it. You know, to touch on our last question, just being wary of time, and I do want to get your thoughts on this for however long we've got left, is on where this kind of technology plays a role in the future. You know, you had said something that actually a lot of AI vendors won't say. And I, I kind of make a lot of people say things they don't like to say, like, hey, every now and again, you have to troubleshoot stuff. And hey, there's some setup time, right? Like vendors normally don't like to have to say that, but I think, but, it, but it, you know, we have to serve the business audience here. You mentioned something that I actually don't hear a lot of people say, which is, hey, to some degree, AI is going to be a commodity and data is going to be kind of where the game is. And, and now thinking about what that looks like in the future, Alan, you know, this kind of visual process to ensure the execution of a procedure within a business. In this case, we're talking yeah. about checkout and self-checkout this kind of system could be applied for all sorts of different applications within the business domain. A guy like you, whose entire kind of business career here is hinging on where this technology goes, you're thinking a lot about this. Where does this kind of technology apply itself to the enterprise or the, the business of the future, retail or otherwise? Where does this visual oversight of process become essential in the industry of five or 10 years in the future? I think it's going to reinvent the whole industry and so how it's evolving is like, or how it has evolved and the trajectory it's on basically right now is that we worked on process integrity to checkout. And then as we worked on that with this AI, the AI started learning that, you know what, this whole checkout thing is a bit of crap. You know, the self-checkout concept is, is okay. We can kind of work with it, but there's a better way. And what actually happened was we came up with, and Amazon have done the same thing where let's do a no checkout. So you're managing a process and the AI starts looking and looking. And actually after a while, machine learning starts working out, hey, that's really good. But listen, we can actually do this a totally different way. And that has enabled the whole concept of no checkout, which is coming very soon. It's going to see it everywhere in the next 24, 36 months. There's oh, no, wow. no checkout. Okay. People don't see how fast this is coming and whatever it's happening. Even though I know that there's the, obviously the Amazon haven't met their timelines or that, but they're going to get it right. There's other people going to get it right as well. So what I see with the SAPs of the world and the oracles of the world who are, you know, they're managing process integrity in a warehouse, you know, like say a DHL or they're working process integrity, I don't know, in an automotive factory, all this stuff. Basically, with AI coming in, basically the computer vision AI, they're going to start putting this whole vision integrity instead of having a database and trying to manage everything within the database they're going to come the other direction which is the holistic way which is look at things visually how is the business performing visually in the logistics side how is it performing visually here with the help of ai and actually what's going to happen that as the ai starts learning and starts to manage process integrity whatever those process integrities have been set by sap or oracle with the customers engineers ai will start learning hey shit that's actually not very clever we can do this a different way so i think ai now is complementing dumb machinery call it around the world right in different verticals but actually what it's going to start doing is going to start realizing and start learning that 
yeah, but let's reinvent this totally. Let's not have a checkout inside in the store. Let's have a, let's have a no checkout. Why do we have a checkout? That's 200 years old. So I think the evolution is going to complement existing technology and make it a little bit smarter, but it's going to start learning that, hey, you're actually very smart. This is a smarter way to do it. So, you know, I, I get the whole thing about, you know, we have to put safeguards into this thing because it's really the next generation that's coming together. It's really going to outthink and rethink how we're doing things. Yeah. Wow. Let me just touch on this for a quick minute just to make sure I'm on the right page with you. Number one, I mean, in terms of the broader ethical social considerations of, of AI, which I, I don't think, you know, we really have to worry about your technology right now going, yeah. you know, going rogue. But, you know, looking far enough ahead, I think that those are unquestioned considerations for the species. And that uh, has to be its own podcast, I suppose. But thinking about exactly. kind of the, the business implications, don't get me wrong, that is my main passion is kind of those farther yeah. out considerations. But thinking near term, you're talking about a system that could hypothetically maybe recommend a better way of routing products yeah. around a warehouse or a system that would recommend a better way of handling certain items in shipment or or something like yeah. that. Now, is this pulling best practices from other places where it's installed? Like, hey, I'm installed exactly. in all these other stores and you guys are doing the shipping thing in this really weird way. Here's a better way. Or, or is it coming up with brand new ideas that the machine has never seen? Or is it a combination of the two? This is a pretty you know wild consideration for business folks it's interesting to hear kind of what your vision is. Which of those two is more the case, I guess? Again, it's the access to the data and it's access to lots of data. So, sorry. So let's say if I go back to my retail side if you, if it, that I know that if you take in like the one store and then suddenly you have, let's say, 5,000 stores or 20,000 stores, whatever. First of all, you start managing process integrity there. But then if you start trying new things in different places and feeding that into AI and, and just playing around with different parts of the state and Suddenly you start training, oh, that's actually better. Okay, this is kind of level one, but level two then, <laughs> neural networks is basically, it's replicating the human brain. If you can start training, hey, that was a great idea. I'm going to take that into the future. I might try that disruptiveness somewhere else. This to me, I think, like it's all about data. That's why I said the most important thing yeah. is access to data. And I think that we're just so low level right now, AI going on. And I think the next level is self-thinking and self-thought. And, and you actually can, you can program a disruptive program or you can have an AI disruptor, call it throw it out there and see what happens and start playing with the data. So yeah, it's going to reinvent. Huh. Okay. So very, very interesting. I'll leave people on this note, which I think is where you're touching on, Alan, and I appreciate hearing a bit of your vision here. AI systems in the future will have maybe so many points of understanding of so many different processes and maybe even an ability to come up with new ways of doing things to reach the business objective so that anything that is identified as a process, not just checkout, but Again, you know, shipping, logistics, you know, maybe anything we could identify as a process could hypothetically have some degree of oversight, feedback, and suggestions from an AI system broadly across industry at large. And that maybe that's something people need to kind of, you know, consider as technology rolls forward. Yep. Got it. Cool. Well, Alan, I am glad that I got some of your future thoughts in addition to details of how your current applications work. And that's all we have for time. But thank you so much for sharing your insights here on AI and industry. Thanks, Dan, for having me on the show. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, 
and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.